0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. All right, First John chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. Um, so recently we just finished uh, a study through First John with the students on Wednesday nights. Um, and so when, uh, when I was told that I was going to be preaching this morning, I was like, That's a good place to go because a lot of that material is still fresh uh, and, you know, we just we just finished up going through that series. So um, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, But I want to tell you uh, just a little intro before we get there. So in 2022, there was a study done and it showed that 60 percent of all Americans would trust a combat a compatibility test to help choose or confirm their significant other. That's three out of every five people would trust a test to basically pair them up with a significant other to date or whatever okay and so this study also gave a list of things that people would say make people compatible with one another some of those things are personality type so you have like introverts versus extroverts you have uh, emotional thinkers versus logical thinkers you know things like that just basically you know what makes you you your personality those things you know, can be a good test of if you're compatible with somebody or not. Another one was life, lifestyle preferences. If you're like a clean person or like a messy person, if you are like a spontaneous, like, you know, spur of the moment, or if you're a planner, you know, those things matter in compatibility when pairing people together because those things kind of conflict, right? Another thing was values and beliefs, so politics, religion, you know, what is it that you believe is true, what is it that you hold fast to, and what you look at as the truth in life that can, you know, help you pair up with somebody. Culture and background, the study showed that, you know, for the most part, there are obviously exceptions, but for the most part, people that come from the same culture you know, are more compatible with people in their culture. Um, like I said, it's not universally true, but that's what this study showed. Um, and then life experiences was another one. What have you gone through? What have you experienced in your life? You know, that can help pair you up with somebody. If you can relate with somebody on something that you've gone through, that makes you compatible. Okay, the list goes on. There's, I mean, we could keep going. I could spend the whole 30 minutes just talking about that. But, compatibility is deeper than just dating, right? So when I first went to college, I went to a college in Indiana, right? I didn't know anybody there. I was going up there to play football. Uh, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't, I wasn't going to have any friends. And so I had to take a compatibility test for them to pair me with a random person to be my roommate. Okay. And they asked questions on this thing, like, do you like to go to bed early? Do you like to stay up late? Do you like it, you know, do you like you're quiet? Does it not matter? Things like that. Um, do you like to be alone or like, you know, are you OK being with groups? Other things like that. And based on, you know, how I filled out that survey, they matched me up with somebody um, that basically was going to have similar ideas and what they wanted in a roommate. And, you know, it worked out pretty well. Uh, my roommate that I had while I was there was. Not too bad. I guess it worked. You know, just looking back, I guess it worked. So, com- compatibility tests, uh, they, they seem to work for the most part. Sometimes not. Sometimes they do. Well, this morning, we're going to look at John, First John, um, and, and John's going to take us to a place where we're discussing our compatibility with Christ, and even more so, our incompatibility with sin, right? As Christians, as believers, if you're born again, you are compatible with Christ you are incompatible with sin. You do not pair well with sin. You do pair well with Christ if you are in Christ. Okay, so we're going to read 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, and then we'll dive into it. So it says this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I'm going to ask Barrett, to, uh, Barrett Marshall to come up and, and lead us in prayer um, as we continue. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we just thank you for this day and uh, thank you for this time that we get to come together and fellowship, Lord. Um, Thank you for the breath in our lungs that we get to come and glorify you today. And we ask that you would bless this message and speak through Josh. I ask that you would open our ears to listen and open our hearts to take in your word and let us apply it to our lives going forth. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Barry. All right, so there's one singular truth uh, that that I want us to understand from this passage, and we're going to kind of take that one singular truth and then look at four reasons why that singular truth is true, okay? And that truth is, from this passage, according to John, Christians should not and cannot make a practice of sinning, okay? Um, You know, I, I talk about this a lot with the students, As a follower of Christ, as a believer, we have a call to holiness and a call to righteousness. And holiness and sin cannot coexist. It just doesn't, it doesn't, you know, that's not how it works. If you are holy, you're without sin. If you are sinful, there is no holiness. So as Christians, we should not and cannot make a practice of sin, right? As verse seven says, we are called to practice righteousness, to practice holiness obviously we can't do that on our own. We're not holy. We're not righteous on our own. But when we receive Christ, his righteousness, his holiness is given to us. That's what we strive for, his holiness, his righteousness, not my own. I'm not righteous. I'm not holy, but he is, and he makes me righteous and holy. So that's the calling that we have as Christians, okay? Uh, And so this means we cannot Practice habitual sin, okay? I'm going to use that term habitual sin a lot as we, as we move through this text. We, we are not supposed to practice habitual sin, okay? I get it. We're humans. We sin, right? Everybody does. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. I've probably already sinned this morning without even knowing it, right? Most of us in the room could probably agree with that. If not, you're probably going to leave here and sin at some point today. That's just how it is. We sin. Okay, so this is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about momentary sin where you fall into something in a moment. I'm talking about sin that you partake in day after day, that you have no conviction of, that you have no repentance of, that just continuing in the same sin over and over without repenting of it. Okay, that's habitual sin. And that's the dangerous part. That's where things get dicey, when we are continuing in sin without dealing with it. Okay? We, like I said, we all sin. I'm not talking about just those momentary you know, acts of sin where you fall into it, but this is something that is practiced daily. It, the, the word habitual there, it's the same as you pick up your toothbrush and brush your teeth in the morning, mostly without even thinking about it. It's just what you do, right? This is the type of sin it's talking about, sin that you just do without even thinking about it. It doesn't even bother you. It doesn't even, like, strike you as a problem. This is what we're talking about, not Not the sin that we, you know, fall into daily because that's going to happen, right? That doesn't, you know, remove us from Christ. Habitual sin doesn't remove us from Christ either, but it can kind of tell us where we stand with Christ. But this is what we're talking about. A regular practice in your life of sin with no repentance, with no remorse, with no feeling of this is wrong, this is bad, I shouldn't be doing this, this is not what God's calling me to, okay? So that's what we're talking about. Romans uh, chapter 6, Paul says, should I continue in sin so that his grace may abound? No, let it not be so. That's what Paul says. We should not continue in sin so his grace may abound. We should not continue in sin for any reason. Like, that's just not what we're called to as Christians. We're called to holiness. We're called to righteousness. So that's the singular truth that we're going to talk about. Us as Christians have a calling to not practice sin, habitual sin, Sin that we do over and over with no remorse, no conviction, no repentance. Okay, and we're going to talk about four reasons why this is true. Four reasons why this is true. Okay, reason number one, this is found in verse four. Christians cannot practice habitual sin because it is incompatible with the law of God. Okay, verse four says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Okay, okay. We are not bound by the law as Christians. There is law, but we are not bound by the law. We are in grace. His grace is enough. This is what covers us, right? There, there is still law. There is still this idea that we have to follow, you know, that we still have things that we have to do as Christians, but we're not bound by the law, okay? We're not tied to the law, Right, Joe. Wherever Joe is, he shared in men's breakfast this morning, and he talked about uh, Christianity being a relationship with Christ, not a religion, not something that we practice just to do because it's the right thing, or because you know it's the religious thing to do. But it's a relationship with Christ. Okay, we obey Christ because we love Him. We obey Christ because of what He did for us, not because we have a religious obligation to obey Him. We obey him because he loves us, and we love him for what he did for, for us, right? So this is, this is what we're talking about. Like I said, it's not a religious obligation that we follow the law, and if you don't, then this will happen. So we shouldn't obey Christ because it's the right thing to do. We should obey him because we love him, because he died for us, he gave himself up for us, okay? A relationship, not a religious obligation, not a legalistic mindset, not something that we do because we're supposed to or because that's what mama and daddy taught me growing up. We obey because of what he did for us. We obey because he loves us and his love for us makes us love him. What he did for us draws love out of us to him. So sin, habitual sin, is incompatible with the law. It doesn't it doesn't match, okay? When we live in habitual sin, the law is being broken, okay? And we have a calling to holiness, to righteousness, right? And so, us living in sin, us practicing habitual sin is incompatible with the law of God. So, that's reason number one. Reason number two, this is found in verse five, Christians cannot practice habitual sin because it is incompatible with the work of Christ, okay so it's incompatible with the law it's also incompatible with the work of Christ verse 5 says this you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin okay Christ died to sanctify or to make holy those who believe to be holy is to be without sin as I mentioned earlier so for us to practice habitual sin is to disregard and disrespect what Christ did for us on the cross right if if he died to make us holy And yet we live in sin, then we take what he did for us and we just push it to the side and say, "Eh, you know, doesn't matter. It's fine. He'll forgive me. Right. We take what Christ did for us when we live in habitual sin and we say, I don't really want that right now. I don't. I'm going to push that aside right now because I am selfish and I want to do what I want to do. Okay. We are disregarding and disrespecting what Christ did for us on the cross when we live in habitual sin. Why would we continue to do the very thing that Jesus came to take away from us, right? He came to take away sin, so why would we continue to live in sin if he came to take it away from us? That'd be like if I, you know, vacuumed up this room in here, this whole room, I vacuumed it, moved all the chairs, and then I opened the door and let a bunch of muddy dogs in here, right? There's no purpose of me doing the vacuuming if I'm just going to turn around and let a bunch of muddy dogs in here because they're just going to make a mess of the place. That's what we do when we practice habitual sin. We take what Christ did for us and we just throw it in the trash, throw it it to the side because we're saying it doesn't matter. We're saying we don't want that over us right now. So what's the point of Christ dying to take away our sin if we just plan to keep on practicing sin? Verse 6 says this. No one who abides in him, that word abide means to dwell, to live. Uh, An analogy I like to use when when I look at the word abide. When you abide, when you dwell, you're not packing an overnight bag and spending the weekend, right? When you abide in something, you pack up everything you got and you move in. That's what it means to abide, okay? So no one who abides in him, who lives in him, dwells in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. It doesn't get much more clear than that, right? If you abide in Christ, if you dwell in Christ, if Christ is the place where you go, then you do not practice habitual sin. You do not continue in sin over and over and over with no conviction, with no remorse, with no repentance. It just doesn't happen, right? This is, this is a, a, a paradox, right? It's, it just doesn't make sense, It doesn't add up. So that's reason number two. As believers, practicing habitual sin is incompatible with the work of Christ. Reason three. This is found in verse eight. Christians cannot practice habitual sin. This is a little bit similar to the last one, but uh, has its own uh, nuance. Christians cannot practice habitual sin because Christ came to not only take away our sin, but to destroy the works of Satan, who is the arch sinner. Right. Verse eight says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, the works of the devil. So when we continue in sin, when we practice habitual sin, again, we are reversing the work that Christ did on the cross, because not only did he come to take away our sin, but he came to defeat the evil one. So when we, you know, align ourselves with the evil one by practicing sin, then we're, again, reversing what he did for us. We're not, we're not respecting, we're not enjoying, we're not living in the fact that Christ died for us. So that, so that, that, is, the, that is what we do. I mean, I, I, I can tell you from my own experience, I've done it, I've like lived in this habitual sin in my life as a believer, like throughout high school, I was a believer, but I kind of pushed that to the side and you know, went and did my own thing. And I really could feel like Satan, like so present in my life because I was aligning myself with him. I was, you know, basically choosing him over God in those moments. And that's what we do. That's what we do when we practice habitual sin. And, and we don't even realize that that's what we're doing, but that's what we're doing. We're undoing the work that Christ did on the cross. We're letting Satan have his way in our lives. And we are putting ourselves on his team, basically. We can't grow towards Christ we can't be sanctified we can't further our relationship with Christ if we're practicing habitual sin because we're aligning ourselves with Satan and not with God okay that's that's what the scripture says whoever makes a practice of sin sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil that's why Jesus came to take away our sin and to destroy the works of the devil it does Why would we ever choose death over life? When you practice habitual sin, you are choosing death over life, because Christ is life, Satan is death. Right? That's what we're doing. And, and I'm not. I'm not saying that you're like going to lose your salvation or anything, or you know anything like that. But in that moment and in that season, this is what we're doing. We're choosing death. We're choosing Satan over God in those in those seasons. And like I said, I'm not. I'm not talking about. You know, sin that you fall into, you know, just periodically. I'm talking about sin that is present in your life for a season of time that you're not repenting of, that you're not dealing with, that you keep on doing over and over and over again. Okay, I want to. I just want to make that very clear because I, I'm not like if I were to sit up here and tell you not to sin ever, I'd be the biggest hypocrite, right? Because I, I'm, as Paul said, he's the chief of sinner. I might be, you know, second in command. So. You know, I have no place in my life, I have no place in my heart to be able to look at you and say, hey, you can't sin, because then I'd be a hypocrite, and I'd be wrong, because I do it every day. But this is what we do. Christians cannot practice habitual sin because Christ came to destroy the works of sin and Satan. He came to break the bondage, right? We, before Christ, we are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to Satan. We are shackled and bound and have this weight, and so, when we live in this habitual sin, this is what we do. We basically put the shackles back on ourselves. You know, put ourselves back in the cell, so to speak, when we do this. It's, it's incompatible with, with this because Christ came to destroy the works of sin and Satan. Okay, and lastly, this is reason number four. This is found in verse 9. Christians cannot practice habitual sin because it is incompatible with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who's given to all who believe. Being born of God is becoming a new creation. And when we become that new creation, we have the Spirit of God living in us. We receive the Holy Spirit when we are saved. And one of the main responsibilities and roles of the Holy Spirit is to redirect us when we sin. To put us back, you know, in the path of God when we sin. And so when we just completely live in habitual sin, we are ignoring the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. We're basically not allowing God to be God in our lives when we do this. The Holy Spirit living in us is the presence of God with us that walks with us every day. So when we live in this habitual sin, we are not allowing God to be God. We're not allowing God to do what he is there to do for us. And that's a major problem. When we don't allow God to be God in our lives, that can be a dangerous place. That can be a really slippery slope, right? Like I said, one of the main goals of the Holy Spirit is to convict us and redirect us when we sin. And so by practicing habitual sin, we reject that. You're rejecting God's leadership. You're rejecting God's voice. And you're even rejecting God's presence in your life when you live in habitual sin, when you practice sin daily with, with no remorse, with no conviction. This is what we do. And I think verse 10 kind of sums everything up in, in a really cool way. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We cannot judge anybody's faith. We, I, I have no place to look at anybody and tell them if they're a Christian or not. Like, I just can't do that because I'm not God. God. But the Bible's pretty clear that we can look at somebody's life and see the fruit that they bear or the lack of fruit that they bear and have a pretty good idea of where they're at in life. Okay, and John says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are not. Okay, we can look at a, a person's life and, and mainly I want us to be able to look at our own life and see this. Before we, ever wanna, before we ever try to look at somebody else's life and see this, look at your own life and see this. Is this evident in my life? Is this what I'm doing? Am I living in sin? Am I, you know, rejecting God in, in these seasons of life? Because if, if I'm living in sin, I have no reason to go up and try to confront somebody else, right? Just like, you know, trying to get the speck of dust out of somebody else's eye when you got the log in your own eye. You know, it's kind of on that same line. We have to reflect on our own life before we can ever, ever try to look at somebody else's life and correct them. Because... You know, it's hypocritical not to. It's, it's saying one thing and doing another when you try to do that. And that's not who we're called to be. So this is, this is the, the calling that we have as Christians. We have to practice holiness, practice righteousness, practice not sinning, practice following God every day. We, we have a calling. We have a responsibility. We have, you know, this is the life that, that we choose when we choose to follow Christ. And when Christ calls us to follow him, we choose holiness. We choose righteousness. So when we live in sin, when we live in habitual sin, practicing sin over and over and over, we're rejecting that. We're reversing what God has done for us. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to reverse what God did, but that's what we do. You know, It's easy to to sit here and say that that's not what I want to do. It's easy to sit here and say, well, you know, I try to to live a holy life and, you know, all of these things. But then when it comes down to it, is that what we're actually doing? Because sometimes we can fool ourselves. Sometimes we can trick ourselves. But, you know, you can't trick. You can't trick God. God knows where you're at. God knows what you're experiencing. God knows what you're going through. God knows every detail about your life. He knows whether you're living in sin. He knows whether you're not living in sin. He knows the things that nobody else in the world knows. If you think that you have a secret that nobody knows, somebody knows. God knows, right? And we're only fooling ourselves when we think that nobody knows. We're only fooling ourselves when we think that you know, we can live in this habitual sin but still follow God. Like According to this passage, that's not the way that, that it works, when we're, when we're Christians, when we're called, we have a calling to righteousness. We have a calling to holiness. So, when we live in habitual sin, it is incompatible with everything that God has done for us. It is incompatible with everything that God has taught us, that God is calling us to be. There is no compatibility with God and living in sin. It just does not pair. Right? It's like oil and water. They don't go together. This is, this is how it is with our relationship with Christ and our relationship with sin, right? So we have this calling to live as Christ. And when we, when we don't, when we practice this habitual sin, it's incompatible with everything that God has done for us. Okay, so we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it says this, You could proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So if you're new with us, uh, we have Lord's Supper tables set up. I think there's four of them. Um, We just... You just get up and go and grab cups. There's two cups stacked on top of each other. Um, The bottom one has the piece of bread. The top one has the juice. You grab, make sure you grab both cups and then you're free to go back to your seat and and take the Lord's Supper as you will. Um, I do encourage you to spend a moment in prayer. Ask the Lord to search your heart, um, reveal to you any sin and make that right with him before you take the Lord's Supper. Um, Because according to this verse, if you don't, then you're you're practicing judgment on yourself. You want to be right with God um, before you take the Lord's Supper. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say a quick word of prayer, and then after I pray, you can be uh, headed to one of the, the Lord's Supper stations or, across the room. So God, we we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this church, um, God, and just the ability that we have to come together as believers and um, just dig into the word and talk about you and and talk about um, how to live a holy life um, and God, a life that honors you. Um, Lord, I pray that as we enter into this time of taking the Lord's Supper together, God, that you would um, reveal to us the sin that we have in our life, um, God, and that we would make that right with you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the body and for the blood um, that was shed for us on the cross. Um, I pray that that it doesn't take a special occasion for us to remember that, God, but that we would remember it every day and we would live by that every day. Um, God, we we love you. We thank you so much for loving us and we pray all this in your name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.